what I want to talk about this morning is Jesus. And uh, one of the things that really amazes me is that when I read these, uh, the story of Jesus each year, trying to prepare this, what really got me this year was kind of the transparency uh, shown by the people who wrote it down. And for me, that underscores or, or shows me that what they're talking about actually happened and was real. Because they're real about their struggles. They're real about their struggle to believe. And they're real about their failures to believe. And what that tells me is that from the beginning, God used imperfect, doubting people to accomplish his plans. And that's a message for us all this Christmas and for the rest of this year and next year. Because wherever you're, you are now, wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you're just setting out, whether you haven't set out yet, or whether you, you've been going for years, whether you're on an up or whether you're on a down, what this tells me, the Christmas story tells me that we can all be part of the story as we live our lives out. Now, why can I be confident of this, this story? Well, I'm not confident of this story because I've got all my theology all buttoned down. That's not what gives me faith. Uh, I've got confidence because it's people like you and people like me and people who sometimes struggle and sometimes get it all right and sometimes don't get it all right. That, and then there's these great leaps of faith that we have every now and again. And then there's the downs and there's the ups. And they're right through the story of Jesus' life and they're right through the Christmas story. And it's that that gives me confidence. It gives me confidence because it tells me that no matter where I am and, and how, whether I'm right on, on the mountaintop or I'm, I'm struggling on a particular day, that God's still there with me and God's still there willing to walk this out with me and live it out with me. So I'm going to talk about uh, the story from Luke this morning. And I picked Luke because Luke, he, he's, there's four Gospels, four people wrote this. In fact, lots of people wrote down the story of Jesus and four of them were complete enough to be included in our Bible. And Luke's one of those. Luke was a doctor. Uh, he was a very learned man. He was a very accurate man. And he wrote down the story of Jesus, but he didn't write it down during Jesus' life. He wrote it down afterwards. And he wrote it down for this guy, a guy that he knew. And one of the things he says right at the beginning of the story is that he has thoroughly investigated all these things. And that again tells me this isn't just a kind of made-up story. It's something that somebody who was a, like a, a, a professional, right at the top of his profession, a bit, a bit like Marcus, he was right at the top of the medical profession, and he thoroughly investigated all the stories about healing, all the stories about the things that Jesus did, and then he wrote them down for me and you. And he starts his story with, well, how can I put it? Two kind of lesser-known folks, people that we wouldn't have heard about otherwise. And these two folks, they're called Zachariah and Elizabeth. And, uh, well... Zachariah is an old guy, and uh, his wife Elizabeth is also old. And what we need to know about him is he's a priest. 
And so he's been a priest for, for, for decades, probably. And this is the year when something special is going to happen. Because each year, one of the priests got nominated to go into the Holy of Holies and light the incense. And this is his year. And, you know, he, he's been waiting uh, all his life and asking, God, are you there? Are you there? Because we really want a child, but are you there? And so he's going to go into the Holy of Holies and he, and he walks in there and he's lighting the incense and the angel Gabriel appears to him and he speaks to him. And this is what he says. God has heard your prayer and he's going to give you a son and you're going to name that son John. For those who, who want, want to get to the end of the story, this is John the Baptist that's getting announced. And so what would you do if you were like, I, I, I don't know how old he was, but way past the age that they're going to have kids. What would you do if, if that was you and the angel Gabriel came? Well, you do what I think he did, and he got it right. He said, so, so you're telling me, this, how can I be sure that this is going to happen? Because okay, I'm in the Holy of Holies and this is an angel, so I've got to pay attention, but how can I be sure that this is going to happen? And because he's kind of tactful, um, let's, let's look at what he says. He says, I'm an old man now, and, and this is a wise old man, because my wife is also along in years. And there's, there's this angel talking to him. And here's, here's the thing, that when we, when we struggle with belief, when we struggle with our faith, even when we can't get our head around stuff that he promises, even when we can't work out it's going to happen, even when we can't see it ever happening, God still works with us and allows us to be part of what he's up to in this world. And then the angel says this, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. What's God saying there? What's he saying to the angel? He's saying that I'm always going to keep my word. I'm always going to do what I said I would do. And through all your ups and downs, through all your struggles with faith, I'm constant, I'm consistent, I will always keep my word. So let's roll this story forward a bit, because he keeps his word. And we get to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. And here's what happens. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends the angel Gabriel again. He's busy. It's a busy Christmas for Gabriel. And he sends him to Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. And I, I, I read that and I thought, isn't it amazing that 2,000 years later, 2,000 plus years later, we're still talking about this Mary. And, it, and that might sound like, well, what? course we're talking about Mary but actually Mary's a poor girl she's a teenager 
She's from a little town, probably about 300 people in it at that time. Back end of nowhere, a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is well, was well known in Roman times. And I, I joke not, but they called it the armpit of the Roman Empire. Because it was a nowhere, no, going nowhere, smelly old town with not many people who wanted to live there. And that's where this story starts. With somebody who's never been heard of called Mary. And that's where all our stories start. God can do amazing things with any of us. And he wants to do amazing things with any of us. So he turns up and he says what? He says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And then what does he say? So, well, this is Mary's reaction, isn't it? Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And he said, don't be afraid, Mary. Now, again, we can kind of look at that and go, well, why would she be afraid? Like, how would you feel if you were just sat in your living room and a huge angel glowing with the glory of God turned up physically in your living room when all the doors were locked? How would you feel? I think you'd feel afraid. That's why he tells her not to be afraid. Not to be afraid. And then he says, you have found favor with God. That means that God's got good things for you. Like he has good things for all of us. And this is what he promises, what he says to her. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be very great. What's very great? Well, very great is Bible language for this baby is going to be famous. Everybody's going to know this baby's name. Everybody's going to know your name, Mary. And even though you're from this little backwater town that nobody wants to come to and everybody bypasses and, and it's on the outskirts of Jerusalem, nobody wants to go there. Everyone wants to avoid it. You're going to be famous and your son is going to be really famous. And this is how famous he's going to be. He will be called the son of the most high. I don't know if you, you know what it means when it says he'll be called the son of the most high, because we just think, oh, he's talking about God. Well, actually, no. What he's saying at that time is there was kind of a competition to be the most high God. Because every nation had its gods. Some people had multiple gods. Some people had a selection of gods from different nations just in case they got the wrong one. But Israel, the people who lived in Israel, were arguing that theirs was the most important God. Theirs was the top God. He was the one that was over every, every God. And so in doing this, Gabriel's saying, Jesus is going to be over everyone. He's the son of the God who is over everyone. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And then he says, he's reign over Israel, he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Jesus was born 
to be king. He was born a sovereign. But this kingdom that Jesus is going to establish, it's not like other kingdoms. When Jesus came, people were expecting someone called the Messiah who was going to overthrow the Roman occupation, make Israel the, the, the most important country in the world, and he was going to reign over it. And so they weren't expecting the sort of kingdom that Jesus brought. Because Jesus brought an upside-down sort of kingdom. What do I mean by upside-down? I mean a kingdom where the king would lay down his life for his subjects. In a normal kingdom, the subjects lay down their lives for the king. Another's first kingdom, not a me-first kingdom. Where the king would use his resources and his power to benefit those with no resource and no power. An upside-down kingdom. And the angel says, your kingdom's going to establish this, the, the, your son's going to establish this kingdom like no other kingdom, and it's going to be forever. And it's not going to be confined to just one place. It's not going to be confined to, to borders. It's going to be in men's hearts. It's going to be a kingdom that 2,000 years later, Almost 40% of the world's population say they are subjects of that kingdom. From that little town in Bethlehem, that nowhere town. And here's the thing, we still have a hard time believing it all. We have still have a hard time living our lives like this is true, like it's real. And I'm thinking, well, what would Mary say about that? I'm, I'm thinking, like, she'd go, like, what? Like, 2,000 years later, you're talking about me. You're talking about Elizabeth. You're talking about Zachariah. You talk about John. And most of all, you talk about Jesus. And the whole calendar's dated from this event that's about to happen is promised. And you have a hard time believing. I think she'd think we were crazy. I don't know what you think, but I think she would. I think she'd think, how can they not believe? How can anyone not believe? 2,000 years later, and people worship my son like was promised. How can you not believe? Just remember what the angel said. No word from God will ever fail. So even if you struggle to believe, even if you find it hard to believe sometimes, even if you can't see how God's going to keep his promises, even if your faith right now is fighting doubt and fighting your circumstances, God's word will not fail. Now, what I like about this is Mary's response. Mary's response is this. How? How's that going to happen? Okay, so you've just been promised you're going to have a child He's going to be a king whose kingdom's forever and he's going to be the son of the most high God and his kingdom's going to be forever throughout the earth. And she goes, how's that going to happen? Because I haven't got a husband. 
He's the angel's answer. He doesn't really answer the question. He doesn't get into the detail of how this is going to happen. He doesn't give the medical explanation. This is what he says. The Holy Spirit will do it. That's it. The Holy Spirit will do it. And when we trust God, it needs to be at that level. We don't have to understand. We don't have to know how it will happen. We don't have to think, how can this happen medically? Or how can this happen with the economy? How can this happen with my job? The Holy Spirit will do it. Because God has promised and his words won't fail. And this is what Mary says. I am the Lord's servant. And words, I, I don't know how this is going to happen. It shouldn't be happening. It's not going to be popular with the family and neighbors. But here's, what's going, here's what I say. I'm the Lord's servant. Let him do what he wants with my life. In other words, I don't understand it all. But I've heard enough to decide that it's your will that should be done. So let's roll forward. Let's roll forward a little bit in the story. Eventually, Elizabeth and Zachariah, you remember the first guy that the angel appeared to and promised his son John. Well, eventually, they have their son, John the Baptist, and Mary has her son. And here's a couple of, here's some snapshots of what happened between where we started the story and where it finishes. So, in those days, the Emperor Caesar Augustus decreed that the census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Why is that a really important sentence? Because it just looks like a throwaway line, doesn't it? Well, if I was making up a story, I wouldn't root it in history and a history that could be checked by the people who are actually reading what I'm writing. This is, this, this is a real historic event. So Luke, who's thoroughly investigated everything, roots it in a real historical event. So anybody alive then could go and check it out. And he wants us to know exactly where and when these events took place. And he's saying, this isn't, this isn't a made-up story. This is real. And I'm, I'm dating it for you. You can put it in your history cal calendar. Here's another snapshot. So Joseph, as a result of that, has to go to the town of Bethlehem. That's where he was born. Remember that little town I described, the armpit of the Roman Empire, 300 people, a nowhere town in the middle of nowhere. Everybody avoids going into Jerusalem and out of Jerusalem at that time. No hotels, no restaurants, an inn that's full. That's where he goes. Not like us where you say, well, you know, I need to go home. Like we, if, we were, if we went back to our hometown, we'd go back to Kendall. Kendall has restaurants, it has hotels, we could pre-book, we could take the train, we could take the car, we definitely wouldn't take the donkey. But they have to take the donkey to get there. 
And for those of you, uh, well, those of you who've had babies and those of you who are having them, that's not a comfortable experience, I can tell you, but they have to go. Now, if you were proclaiming the king whose kingdom will never end, would you have told the story like this if you'd made it up? Would you have had the king's pregnant mother riding on a donkey to nowhere? It's real, it's true. While they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. That's the king. When we were on holiday in September, we went to these uh, gardens. I, I can't remember what they were called, near a place in Mallorca called Solaire. And we went to these gardens and they still have mangers there, where they, the, the original mangers where they fed the, the horses and the cattle and the sheep. And it, it's kind of underground a bit, and it's just cold stone. And in these mangers, they've got the hay that the, the um, animals feed on. And then in other mangers, they had sacks filled with straw that the shepherds and the guys that looked after the cattle slept on. And, and then they have like this gutter down the middle that all the poo and everything else goes out from the dog, and uh, from the cows and the sheep and all the rest of the stuff they've got there. That's where the king was born. That's where Jesus was born. A place like that. Now, let's change the scene. Last scene we're going to look at. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. I came down for breakfast this morning and Cheryl had this verse on a yellow sticky on our table. I don't know why it was there, but she had this verse on, and she didn't know I was going to talk about this, but it was there. Um, what do you need to know about shepherds, apart from their nativity place? Well, shepherds were actually, at that time, permanently ceremonially unclean. They weren't welcome in the city. They definitely weren't welcome in the temple. They, their job was to raise the sheep and the lambs and, uh, that were sacrificed in the temple. So the nature of their job made them an outcast. They weren't welcome in people's houses. They weren't welcome just to walk down the streets of Jerusalem. So they lived outside Jerusalem in the fields. And God, in his sovereignty, chose them to announce the birth of a king. Why would you do that? Why would you write it down if it wasn't true? It's like God saying to them, that current religious system, that all that stuff that people take so much pride in, You can't get in. But this baby who's going to be king is good news for you. And he's good news for all people. And that includes the outcasts like you. Again, it's God. He's choosing ordinary people. People who perhaps aren't that amazing 
in the world's eyes. People who have all sorts of issues. But God can take those people and he can give them hope and he can give them joy and he can give them life and he can work through them to bring good news to other people. So the angel of the Lord appeared among them and Lord's glory surrounding them. They were terrified. But the angel, here he goes again, don't be afraid. Angels are scary. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. He's going to do, what he's saying is, God is about to do something through this this child, this baby that I'm telling you about, that's going to give hope to the world into the most hopeless relationships, into the most difficult circumstances, into the most tragic situations. The king has come. The king that gives hope. Now and always. Just like we started, sometimes we might struggle to believe. Sometimes you might have got to the point where you used to believe, but now you're not really sure. Sometimes even when you read God's promises, you might not believe. Because most times you can't figure out how he's going to do it. And here's why the gospel is good news. Because God loves you when you struggle with stuff like that. God loves you when you believe. And God loves you when you can't believe. And God loves you when you're not sure whether you believe or not. God loves you if you're a nobody and God loves you if you're a somebody. And he loves you when you fail and he loves you when you succeed. And sometimes he'll love you and keep on loving you and keep on loving you until you do believe. And that's good news for everyone. Amen? Amen. Amen.